Well, good morning, Salem Chapel. Uh, well, here's the miracle of video. Uh, just to let the cat out of the bag, uh, I am not live, um, as you may be well aware of. And I'm recording this on Friday. We have no idea what the snowfall is going to be. So I am hoping and praying that you uh, have not just come inside from shoveling your driveway with 12 inches of snow. Let me just say that. So I am going to pray in advance that that's not the case as we are watching uh, and walking together through this passage of scripture. But I do want you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter eight. Uh, if you're in your living room or you're watching this later on during the week or you're in your car, um, obviously I don't want you to read your Bible, but you can listen to me. But John chapter eight, whether you have a hard copy of God's word, whether you have it on your phone, whatever it is, we're continuing our series entitled that you may believe and really what we're going after if you're brand new and you're tuning in is what we're going after is really reminding ourselves that where is it in our life where we are struggling to believe that jesus is the christ the son of the living god that is the theme of this book john says that in john 20 john is the apostle of jesus he walked intimately uh, with jesus he was one of jesus inner circles one of the three that jesus spent extra time with and he writes this gospel to really help people to see that jesus is your savior but if you've accepted him as your savior of your sin, he also is someone who sustains you through the good and the difficult. And so we all have areas in our life where we need to grow in believing who Jesus is. And that's really the aim of our series as we've been walking through this gospel. You would have already read this passage of scripture if you were uh, following along in our reading plan. But nevertheless, let me start in John 8, 12, and let me read verse 12 where it says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. Now, if you remember, Last week, we talked about Jesus' encounter with this woman who was caught in adultery. Now we come to this verse, and Jesus says this phrase that many of us know very well. If we had any relationship with the Lord for a lengthy period of time, this passage is probably familiar for you. But here's the idea that I want you to get today as we just walk through this passage of Scripture. It's this, that Jesus is inviting you to believe that He is the light of your life, that that's what Jesus wants you to believe, that that's what Jesus wants you to grow in believing, is that he is the light of your life. Walking in the light is about following Christ. That's what he says. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That word follow literally means this. It means to believe in Jesus. It means to trust Jesus. It means to submit to Jesus as your Lord. That's literally what the term follow means. It, it has the idea of discipleship, me trusting the Lord, me believing in the Lord, me submitting to the Lord. Let's just face it, right? Let's, let, let, let's embrace this reality. You cannot follow someone that you don't believe in. I'm not going to follow someone I don't believe in. You're not going to follow someone that you don't believe in. Regardless of whether or not they're believing in, you're not going to follow them if you don't believe in them. And Jesus says, whoever follows me. 
You know, we define a disciple at Salem Chapel this way. Someone who is abiding in Jesus and equipping others to do the same. And that word abide, and we're going to look at it here because Jesus mentions it in verse 31. That word abide literally means our definition means walking hand in hand with Jesus as he leads the way. That's just a phrase that we use at Salem Chapel. And if you call this place your home, you know that. But that word abide literally means to remain, to commune, to be in relationship with. And so if we are going to follow Jesus as the light of our life, then that also means that we need to be walking hand in hand with him as he leads the way. He can lead the way. Why? Because he's our light. Now, if we're going to understand the significance of this passage of scripture, we need to understand the context in which it was given. Because that's so important. Context illuminates and enlightens us to what this passage of scripture would have meant to the people who heard it in the time that they heard it, which helps us understand it better today. So here's a couple things that's important to remember. These words that Jesus spoke were spoken shortly after the Feast of the Tabernacles. And they were spoken in the courtyard of the temple where the people of Israel would worship. And there were certain parts of the ceremonies that were done and how they were conducted that will show us significance to when Jesus says he's the light of the world. One of the one of the ceremonies was is on the first night of the feast and on every succeeding night following two great lamps were lighted in the courts of the temple. And if you read uh, different uh, his, historical um, accounts of this time, they said that they, that this light, these lamps that were lit would cast their light over every quarter of the old city of Jerusalem. And these lamps were lit because they were meant to recall the pillar of cloud that led the children of Israel as they walked through the wilderness and in, in the book of Exodus, they were to symbolize the pillar of cloud that led the children of Israel by day and the pillar of fire that led them by night as they wandered around in the desert. Now, the cloud appeared on the day when the people left Egypt, if you were to read the account in Exodus. And it stood between the Israelites and the, and the Egyptians as the Egyptians were pursuing Israel after they left Egypt. And this cloud kept the Jews from being attacked. Later on, it guided the people through the wilderness. It spread over them to give them shade as they were walking through the desert. Why do I say all that? Because Jesus says he's the light of the world during a time when those lights would be lit and those lights symbolized and was a memorial to the people of Israel of Jesus's provision for them, his protection for them, his direction for them as they were wandering around in the wilderness. So when Jesus says he's the light of the world, that bore great significance to the people who were hearing that, knowing that they were celebrating how, how God was their light in their history. So understanding that, here's what I want you to do. I want you to keep your finger in John chapter eight, but I want you to turn to Numbers chapter nine, verses 15 through 22, because we're actually gonna look at the account that this celebration would have symbolized so that we better understand the significance of what Jesus meant when he says, 
If you follow me, you will have the light of life, that he's the light of the world so that we would understand what that would have meant to the children of Israel, but more importantly, so that we can understand the significance of that to our life today. So as we look at Numbers 9, here's what I want to do in our time. I want to show you this, that Jesus as the light of your life provides you, provides me with four things. Look at Numbers 9 verses 15 and 16. It says this, on the first day that the tabernacle was set up, the cloud That pillar of cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony. And at evening, it was over the tabernacle like the appearance of fire until morning. So it was always the cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. Here's the first thing that Jesus, as the light of your life, provides you and what it provided the children of Israel back then. Jesus, as the light of your life, provides you, here it is, number one, with his presence. That cloud and that pillar of fire by night was a sign to God's people that he was with them and they were not alone. I mean, they're in the wilderness, they've left everything, they're excited that they're free, but at the same time, they have no idea where they're going. They have no idea what they're going to face. They see the Egyptians following them, and then they see this Red Sea that they're about to, to encounter. But what that cloud and what that pillar of fire represented was, is that God was with them. You think about it. What does light do? One of the things that it does, it drives out fear. One of my favorite verses, we looked at it at the beginning of the pandemic all the way back in the spring of 2020. We looked at Psalm 27. And what does verse one say? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? So some of you, you would not maybe want to admit it, but you're not crazy about the dark. You may be even fearful of the dark. And so you may be 50 years old, 60 years old, and you're afraid of the dark. So what do you do? Excuse me. What do you do? You have a nightlight. Or you may not call it a nightlight. You may flip on the bathroom light that's attached to your bedroom, and you may even close the door just to leave it cracked open a little bit so you can see the light. You may, when you're by yourself in your house, you may leave all the lights on at night. When you're all alone, because you don't want to have the idea that you don't know where anything is or God forbid someone's in the house or whatever it is. So you leave all the lights on when you're all alone. Why do you do that? Because light gives the idea of presence, that you're not alone, that you're safe. Jesus says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. I love what we looked at in John 1, 5, where it says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. You want to know why you sleep with a nightlight on? Because you need to know that you're not alone. You know what Jesus provides you being your light? That he is with you. 
He provides his presence. That was significant to the children of Israel all the way back in the book of Exodus. And it's significant for us today. And it was significant when Jesus was saying it in the courtyards of the temple during the Feast of Tabernacle. Number one, what's the significance of Jesus being the light of your life? He provides you with his presence. Here's the second thing that he does. Let's continue reading in Numbers 9. So don't go back to John chapter 8 yet. Look at verses 17 and 18 of Numbers 9. It says, And whenever the cloud lifted from over the tent, after that the people of Israel set out, and in the place where the cloud settled down, there the people of Israel camped. And at the command of the Lord, the people of Israel set out. And at the command of the Lord, they camped. And as long as the cloud rested over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. I love this imagery. Remember, they don't have a temple. They have a tabernacle. So they're literally doing set up and tear down every time that they move. If you've been at Salem Chapel for a long time, you remember those days. And so this was a set up and tear down environment. But what I see in Numbers 9, 17 and 18, as we look at this pillar of cloud and this pillar of fire, is that Jesus is the light of your life. Here's what else he provides you with. It's what he provided the children of Israel with. He provides you with his protection. The people of Israel knew that as long as that pillar of cloud was there and as long as that pillar of fire was there, that God was with them, that his presence was with them. But his presence also meant that they also had his protection. Listen to me, this morning, if you are struggling with fear in some way, if you are struggling with anxiety or worry in some way, what we need to remind ourselves of this morning is that Jesus is fully capable of providing you with his protection as your light, as you're walking hand in hand with him as he leads the way. There's some times in our life where we can doubt that he's fully capable, that he fully knows what he's doing. But that pillar of cloud and that pillar of fire was a constant reminder that God's people were under his protection. And when I'm walking hand in hand with Jesus as my light, here's what it involves. It involves me trusting him. It involves me submitting to him that what he has said in his word and my obedience to it and trusting in it is what is going to make me feel secure. Sometimes we can't control the circumstances that we are experiencing. And it's in those times that we need to say, Lord, let me remind myself that you're my light. And if you're my light, then you're going to provide me with protection. I'm not going to walk in darkness. You say that in John 8, 12. Listen to these verses. I love these verses in Psalms. Psalm 18, 28, and 29. These are fantastic verses about God's protection and someone who trusts in it. It says, for it is you who light my lamp. Who give me light, in other words. The Lord God lightens my darkness. And what's the result? Verse 29. For by you, I can run against a troop. And by my God, I can leap over a wall. What is the psalmist saying? When I remind myself that I have your protection, when I remind myself that you're my light, which means I have your protection, man, I can run through a wall. I can jump over a wall. There's nothing in my life that I don't need to feel secure in facing. Listen, the safest place for you and me to be is following the Lord. It's the safest place I can be. 
Now jump to verse 20 of John chapter 8. So flip over in your Bibles to John 8, 20. And look at what it says in verse 20. It says, these words that Jesus spoke, he spoke in the treasury and taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So what we're going to see here in a few minutes is the Pharisees didn't like what Jesus was saying at this point. I know, big shocker, right? I mean, there's this constant battle between them and Jesus. But when they tried to arrest him, what it says is they couldn't do it. Why? Because it wasn't God's will. Jesus was in perfect submission to what God wanted. And it's a perfect example and gives me confidence to knowing that when I'm following Jesus, when I'm pursuing him, and that doesn't mean perfection. It means when I sin and when I make mistakes, I confess it, I ask forgiveness, I keep walking with him, that I'm in the safest place I can possibly be. Why? Because Jesus as my light provides me with his protection. Here's a third thing. Let's go back to Numbers 9, flip back to Numbers 9, verses 19 through 22, and we'll close out this Old Testament passage of scripture that gives us significance in understanding Jesus being our light. It says in verse 19, even when the cloud continued over the tabernacle many days, the people kept the charge of the Lord and did not set out. Sometimes the cloud, excuse me, was a few days over the tabernacle. And according to the command of the Lord, they remained in camp. And then according to the command of the Lord, they set out. And sometimes the cloud remained from evening until morning. And when the cloud lifted in the morning, they set out. Or if it continued for a day and a night when the cloud lifted, they set out. Whether it was two days or a month or a longer time that the cloud continued over the tabernacle, abiding there, the people of Israel remained in the camp and did not set out. But when it lifted, they set out. I love this passage of scripture and what it communicates. Literally what it's saying. Lord, if you're telling us to stay, we're going to stay. Lord, if you're telling us to go, we're going to go. We're not going to argue if we're like, man, Lord, uh, it's about time to move. We've been here for a while. No, Lord, you're going to show us when it's time to move and you're going to show us how long we need to stay. See, what that shows me is that Jesus, as the light of your life, here's what he did with the children of Israel, but here's what he does with us. He provides you with his direction. Like, can you see, can you begin to see the significance of what Jesus meant when he said that he was the light of men, that he was the light of the world? Jesus is saying, man, I want to provide you with my presence. I want to provide you with my protection. I want to provide you with my direction, just like the people of Israel experienced in the book of Exodus. The point is this, that when the Lord moved, they moved. When he led, they followed. What does Jesus say? Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It's literally us saying and living with this mantra, God's word, God's wisdom, God's way. You ought to write that down if you're taking notes. It's not on your screen. God's word, God's wisdom, God's way. When we think about this idea of direction, let me share with you some passages of scripture that, that affirm that. Psalm 19, 105, you might know this. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The Lord promises direction through what? Through his word. James 3, 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, 
In other words, it doesn't have ulterior motives. It's not sinful in its motivations. It's peaceable. It doesn't create angst with those around you. It's gentle. In other words, that idea is, is power under control. It's not you driving home what you want to do. And I don't care who it affects. It's open to reason. Like you actually are inviting counsel from others into what you believe you where you're wanting to go, what you're wanting to do, what decision you're wanting to make. It's full of mercy. Like, like, is this decision that I'm going to make is, does it promote mercy and the good fruits? It's impartial. It's in, it's sincere. It's not driven out of sinful motivations. Why do I say that? What did I say? The mantra was God's word. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. God's wisdom. Lord, let me, whatever decision that I'm faced with, whatever, whatever direction I'm trying to discern, whether or not you're leading or not leading, Lord, let me trust that you're my light. You're going to provide it. Well, let me run through those decisions. Is it godly wisdom? And then Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him. And what's the promise? He will make your paths straight. Why is that true? Because Jesus is your light when you're following him, when you're abiding with him, when you're walking hand in hand with him as he leads the way. He promises you his direction. Here's the last thing that he provides you with as the light of your life. Now jump back to John chapter eight and jump down to verses 30 and 32. Look at what Jesus says. Or look at what it says. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Like many b- believed that he was their light. Verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him. So he's saying this to people who believe that he is their savior. If you abide, there's that word, remain, commune. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus is the light of your life provides you lastly with this, with his freedom. And there's freedom and following Jesus as your light. Light provides freedom, does it not? I mean, it, when I turn on the lights in a completely dark room, all of a sudden there's freedom because I know where to go. I'm not worried about bumping into something. I'm not worried about hurting myself. I'm not worried about, man, I'm fearful. No, light provides freedom. In a culture, in our culture, in our society, they want you to believe that submission to Jesus brings bondage, not freedom. But that couldn't be further from the truth. Think about it this way. When, when I'm following Jesus, think about the freedom that he provides when I'm, when I'm living in obedience to what he says in his word and what he, how he wants me to live. There's freedom in how I view myself. Like I'm not defining myself by what you say about me. I'm not defining myself by what someone on social media says about me. I'm not defining myself by any other thing than knowing that Jesus loved me. He lived for me. He died for me. He rose again for me. That my identity is found in him. That how I define myself is by Jesus' love for me. Think about the freedom that that provides. That I don't live for you. You don't live for me. You live for Jesus. There's freedom in that. Think about the freedom in how you view relationships. That if you're married this morning, that you love your spouse just like Jesus loved you. That it's not like, well, I'll love you if you love me. No, 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 no. I love the Lord, so therefore I want to love you selflessly. Think about the freedom that that provides 
in your marriage. Think about the freedom that that provides in your dating relationship. Think about the freedom that that provides in how you parent your kids or how you respond to your parents or how you view your friends, that that my friends are not there for me. No, 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 I wanna love them the way that Jesus loves me. There's freedom in your relationships. Man, when you live that way, there's not all this angst, there's freedom. There's freedom in how you view your work. That my work is actually an opportunity for me to show Jesus' love. It's for me to show that people that I work around that I'm following Jesus as my light. There's freedom in how you view your work. There's freedom in how you view your money. That my money is not for me. My money is to advance God's kingdom and to show others that Jesus is their light. Think about how I view my possessions, how I view my goals and dreams. I mean, there's tremendous freedom. When you're following Jesus as your light. But what keeps us from seeing Jesus as our light? Because let's face it, we can sit here and and you can watch me on your screen, wherever it is. And many of you who are watching me right now, I'm not telling you anything new. You know these things. You know the story of the children of Israel and how they were led in the wilderness. You've heard Jesus refer to himself as the light. I'm not telling you anything new for most of you. So the question is, what keeps us then from living out this reality? I think there's two things that our life can say that keeps us from living this reality. And it's really what the Pharisees said in their response to what Jesus was saying. Here's a first thing that my life can say that could keep me from living and seeing Jesus as my light. It's this phrase, I need more evidence. But Jesus, I need more evidence. I need more evidence if I'm going to really believe. I mean, let me just read verses 13 through 21 quickly. Look at the Pharisees' response to everything that Jesus said. So the Pharisees said to him, well, you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony's not true. And the reason why is, is there was there was a law during this time that if someone was going to believe that what you were saying was true, you had to have more witnesses than just yourself. You had to have at least two witnesses. So look at Jesus' response. So verse 14, Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true for I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. For yet, even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it's written that the testimony of two people is true. What I just referred to, verse 18. I am the one who bears witness about myself. And here's the second one Jesus is saying. Here's the second witness. And the Father who sent me bears witness about me. Now look at the Pharisees' response. Well, they said to him, therefore, well, where is your father? Jesus answered, you neither know me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. Verse 21. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. Verse 22. So the Jews said to him, will he kill himself since he says, where am I going? You cannot come. What's the point? Every answer that Jesus gives as evidence to to who he is, the Pharisees reject it and say, I need more evidence. I need more evidence, Jesus. I don't believe that. I need more evidence. Can we just think about where we've been so far in this gospel? The Pharisees have heard and seen miracles. They've heard about them. They saw many of them. They've had their questions answered by Jesus. But here's the reality. It would never be enough. 
Why? Because Jesus was challenging their heart's desire to be their own savior and their own God. Think about it this way. Light doesn't need witnesses to testify that it's light. Light bears witness itself enough. The only people who can't see the light when it's on are people who are blind. They're the only ones who say, I need more evidence that light is light. Light bears witness to itself. It tells you you are there. If I had a flashlight and I turned it on, you don't need any more evidence that it worked other than seeing the light. John 3.19 says this, the light is coming to the world and people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. If we're postured this morning, you're like, well, if I need to believe that Jesus is my light, I need more evidence. I just want to encourage you with this. The desire to have more evidence to follow Jesus as your light and never being satisfied in the evidence that he has already provided really is rooted in your pride to be your own savior. Because there's never going to be enough evidence. The greatest evidence for you and me that Jesus is worth trusting in, that he be providing me with his presence and his protection and his direction and his freedom and the reality that that is true is me understanding that Jesus lived perfection for me. He died on the cross for my sin and he rose again three days later. There is no greater evidence than the light is on than that. And too often we can get caught up in, well, I need, I need one more sign. I need one more sign. I need one more sign. But we've really got to check our motives and say, if that's constantly what my life is saying, then is Jesus really challenging me to give up something? Is he challenging that desire for me to be the one that call the shots? Is that what is motivating me saying I need more evidence? Because that's what was motivating the Pharisee's heart. That's what was getting in the way of them seeing Jesus for who he was. They had all the Bible verses to be able to see that. They had seen miracles with their own eyes. But in order to follow Jesus, what do you have to do? You have to trust him. You have to submit to him. You have to see that he's your savior and you're not. Here's something else that we say. It's found in verses 23 through 29. Here's what else we can say. Who are you to tell me what to do? I mean, that can keep us from seeing Jesus as our light. Jesus, who are you to tell me what to do? I think I, I have every right to do what I want. Verses 23 through 29 says this, and we'll be done. He said to them, you are from below. I am from above. Speaking to the Pharisees, you are of this world. I'm not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Jesus says, I've told you what I came to provide for you and all the rest of mankind. Look at their response in verse 25. So they said to him, you ought to underline this, who are you? Jesus, who are you to tell us that we're not right? Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true and I declare to the world what I've heard from him. Verse 27, they did not understand that they had been speaking to them about the Father. Verse 28, Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. So what he's saying is, is there will come a point where 
it'll begin to make sense. Speaking of when he's, when he will be on the cross, verse 29, and he, and he who sent me is with me and he has not left me alone for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Man, the Pharisee's response is, Jesus, who are you to tell me what to do? Now, here's what sometimes we can think. Man, why did Jesus go toe-to-toe with the Pharisees all the time? Why was this proverbial boxing match always taking place between the Pharisees and Jesus? Why did Jesus treat the Pharisees so much different than he treated the woman at the well or the woman that was caught in adultery in James chapter 8 or the tax collectors or the criminals? Why did Jesus treat them so much different than the Pharisees? Why was Jesus being so what seems like vindictive to the Pharisees? It's This is the reason. Because the Pharisees knew God's word better than anybody else. They had all the knowledge in the world to see Jesus for who he says, who he said he was. But they were constantly pressing Jesus and looking to trick Jesus because Jesus was challenging their heart to want to see themselves as their own savior. Listen to me, when you come to Jesus with questions, I don't want you to think when you come to Jesus and you're like, Jesus, man, I, I'm struggling to believe in who you are. Jesus, I'm struggling and wanting to do my will versus your will. Jesus is never going to turn away a heart that truly wants to know him more. And so I don't want you to look at this and say, well, man, Jesus rejected the Pharisees. Maybe he will reject me. No, no, no. It was the posture of the Pharisees. It was the posture saying, no, no, Jesus, I need more evidence. And when you provide me with that evidence, I'm going to need more. And Jesus, who are you to tell me what to do? It was the posture. But we got to check our hearts because oftentimes the reason why we do not experience Jesus as our light is because we may have some of the Pharisees in us. And so as we close, here's what I want you to do. I want you to evaluate your life and say, man, where, where in my life am I maybe acting more like the Pharisees than the crowds who believed in him? You know what I love where it says in verse 30 and the, and many people believed him. What that shows me is, is Jesus wasn't guilty of a lack of clarity in what he was saying because many people believed him. It was the posture of the Pharisee's heart that caused them not to see Jesus for who he was. Because I'm telling you, when you follow after Jesus, you're going to experience those things that we discussed, his presence, his protection, his direction, the freedom that he provides. And you know, a prayer that God will answer, I promise you he'll answer this, is this prayer. Jesus, would you open up my eyes to see you as my light? He will answer that prayer. And what I want to encourage you to do if you're struggling is to take that discipleship journal that you may have. And if you don't have one, you can go to our website and you can see our Bible reading tool and our prayer tool. And I want you to commit to every day this week to spend some time with the Lord and ask him to affirm that he is your light. And I promise you that at the end of the week, if you spend time with Jesus every day, if you abide with him, if you walk hand in hand with him and allow him to lead the way, I promise you that he is going to affirm and show you the freedom, the protection, the direction, 
and the presence that he will provide. Let's pray. God, I thank you today to be able to be in your word, to be able to remind ourselves of what is true, that whoever follows you will not walk in darkness, but will experience the light of life. God, may we see that reality in our life. Lord, it's true. But God, may we experience. And if there's things that are getting in the way, God, may we confess those things. And may we ask you to illuminate and to open up our eyes to see what is true of you. In Jesus' name, amen.